And good morning, everyone, or good evening, or good afternoon, depending upon what the case may be in your corner of a very round world. How can you have a corner of the world when it's spherical, when it's round? That is very, very weird indeed. Anyway, welcome to The Other Side of Midnight, that show where you never know what's going to happen because we never know what's going to happen. That kind of sounds weird. It came out wrong. Anyway, tonight's show is going to be kind of um, interesting, to say the least, because we have some historic announcements to make. Not the least of which is, for the last several weeks, we have been pursuing the Perseverance Caravan. We've been reporting on the spacecraft landing, some of the early imagery, analysis of amazing things around the landscape. Um, I mean, they landed in the middle of an ancient city, in the middle of an ancient lake bed, underneath a still existent glass dome. I mean, how can you top that? Well, tonight, or this morning, we're going to top that. And I'm not going to give the game away. Uh, For those of you who did not read the promo, you will be absolutely bemused by what we're going to be talking about over the next three hours. So so we can get to that. Let's uh, do a couple of new things at the top. As you know, for the last couple of weeks, we've been reporting on the evergreen ship, the Ever Given, uh, which was a 200,000 displacement uh, cargo carrying ship that got stuck sideways in the Suez Canal. If you If you really are kind of into maritime adventures and drama and soap opera and all that, the first two items are going to be right up your alley or your cup of tea, depending upon which cliche you want to go for. Item number one, for a week, all eyes were on the Suez. Here's the story of how it was unblocked. And it's literally a blow by blow with real people, real quotes, real connections. It's like an unfolding mystery story. So, In your copious, copious, copious spare time, I would recommend item number one. By the way, for you folks that are new to The Other Side of Midnight, and we have a lot of new listeners, what you do is you go to your friendly local neighborhood computer or your phone and find our URL, theothersideofmidnight.com. Click on that. That will take you to our uh, show page, um, and there you'll see a banner which says very provocatively, And I wrote this deliberately. NASA secretly confirms interior reality of ancient Jezero Dome immediately following astonishing enterprise discovery. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about tonight, because it turns out that in addition to all you folks out there, apparently have some faithful listeners inside JPL and NASA. And we've been laying out methodically Evidence upon evidence upon evidence, which is really inescapable at this point, that there is an ancient dome over Jezero, that NASA had to have known about the existence of this dome. I'll get back to that in a minute. That it calls into question all kinds of assumptions NASA has made about its public mission for the Perseverance rover. Um, that it's literally driving over glass. You heard uh, uh, Leslie's exquisite experiment last week where she compared the sound of glass cutters on glass with the 
Rover's sound of Rover's wheels on Martian soil, and they pretty much sound the same. I mean, from optical, from audio, from different perspectives, different cameras, different sun angles, different everything. The convergent analysis is Yazero has an extraordinary 30-mile-wide dome, about seven miles high. It's not a sphere or a half sphere. It's a very shallow curve, but there's all kinds of evidence that the damn thing is there. And of course, according to the NASA model, it can't be there. There's no way it can be there. I mean, come on, you guys are nuts. There's nothing over that that crater except, well, we'll get into that in a minute. Okay. Anyway, what you want to do is click on tonight's banner there on the show page. That will take you to the guest page. And right under the guest page, you'll see uh, fast links to items, Richard, Ron, Andrew, so far. And uh, click on my items. That will take you down to my section of Radio with Pictures. <clears throat> the second item, um, as you know, they're opening an inquiry and they parked uh, the Ever Given in an artificial lake kind of toward the one end of the canal where they kind of hold ships until they can get back in the conga line and go through uh, carefully spaced. Well, they drove the Ever Given or steered her to a mooring in this, uh, I think it's called Bitter Something Lake, because they're going to check out her hull to make sure that she's seaworthy to complete the rest of the trip to Rotterdam with her 18,000 containers still on board. Well, as you open an inquiry, there's all kinds of bureaucracy that must be fulfilled, including you know, the agreement and cooperation of the captain, the turning over of electronic records, kind of like an aircraft flight control system, uh, you know, the um, um, what they call those uh, black boxes. Except in this case, the captain of the Ever Given is not cooperating with the probe at all and has refused to turn over the ship's black boxes. So my conspiratorial bump, which I, you know, kind of raised some questions last week as to what should be have been going on with this. Was she deliberately steered into the bank to do exactly what she did? That would all show up in the electronic records. And if they're not giving the records over, how can the probe continue? Well, you see where this is going. So you might want to keep one eye on that because I think there's more to the ever given story than we know at the moment. Item number three, segueing from oceans on Earth to oceans in space, Virgin Galactic Richard Branson rolled out the latest generation of the uh, spaceship, um, and it looks gorgeous. Oh, does that not look like it was born to fly? Click on the either the banner or the link above, and it'll take you to the story. Apparently, Mr. Branson has decided to follow the lead of Elon Musk. Remember, Elon Musk is designing his starship out of stainless steel. Well, it turns out that for both practical engineering reasons and definitely aesthetic reasons, uh, Mr. Branson is following suit. The new versions of the uh, Virgin Galactic uh, spaceships, they're going to take passengers at a clip of about $250,000 per flight up and then down, not going into orbit, just a suborbital hop kind of like Alan Shepard many, many decades ago. 
apparently they will be going up into space and coming back down in a gorgeous, sleek, streamlined, incredibly brilliantly reflective, stainless steel spaceship. Who would have ever thought that stainless steel would suddenly have a whole new renaissance and in the form of ships that go and come from space? Well, if you live long enough. Anyway, item number four. Um, As the developments we're going to talk about for the rest of the evening vis-a-vis NASA and the Yazero Dome unfolded, remember, NASA this past couple of weeks has been in the process of quietly, latch by latch, and connection by connection, unlimbering the little Ingenuity four-pound helicopter that is underneath the belly of the Perseverance rover. And you'll see in item number four uh, a a really neat photograph, um, which, of course, uh, shows you the um, um, little Ingenuity now suspended by a single point before they disconnect the the latch and the electrical connections. And she drops five inches on those four extended carbon fiber landing legs, bounces very gently under the one-third Martian gravity, and then the rover is supposed to back away, like about two, three hundred feet away, to be in a perfect position to photograph and to video with many of its, uh, what, 25 cameras on this thing, really gorgeous color cameras, uh, the first flight of a helicopter on the planet Mars. Well, the last couple of weeks, NASA has been going through this step-by-step process, and it's almost been like watching, uh, you know, paint dry or grass grow, because the way the communications to the rover works, because of the bandwidth limitations and the fact that she can really best communicate lots of data through a flyover of one of the other spacecraft orbiting Mars, either ours or the Europeans, um, they only really can do um, activities during the day. And then in the evening, they uplink the data that they collected during their autonomous you know, procedures. And then the ground uplinks the next morning new commands. Perseverance you know, takes its instructions carries out its workload, and at the end of the day, it uploads to one of those satellites, you know, the data they acquired that day. And this goes, you know, on and on and on like a cycle. Well, they were in the middle of this day-long process of undoing each latch and then having to wait for the data to see whether everything worked because you don't want to make a mistake. And the way you don't make a mistake is you do it very, very, very carefully which has got a lot of people very upset. It's like, oh, NASA's teasing us. They're drawing this out. No, it's the exigencies of the limited bandwidth to talk to a very sophisticated rover on the surface of the planet Mars. So up until a couple of days ago, this was all going swimmingly. Step-by-step had been successfully accomplished. And then a couple of days ago, NASA made a really weird announcement. That's item number four. They decided for no given reason, they haven't told us what's going on at all. Up until then, everything seemed to be according to Hoyle, meaning according to plan. But they suddenly put a delay of several days um, on their planned first flight. But they did not give anyone a reason. So 
what could be going on. Well, same time that all this happened, um, Reddit, as you know, because NASA has not been doing live press conferences of uh, the Perseverance uh, activities. I mean, they have really done zero for weeks, and they published very few new press images, meaning, you know, images that have been vetted by the science teams, and somebody writes a kind of a committee caption, and it's put out there for the mainstream press to post on blogs or on the evening news or in the New York Times, whatever. They're doing none of that. I mean, really, the the pipeline of information coming out of the Percy mission has been reduced to almost zero. So in the in the vacuum created in terms of public interest all over the world in the Perseverance mission, um, a lot of private sites, a lot of blogs, a lot of chat rooms, whatever, haven't opened up Mars rooms or Perseverance rooms, whatever. And Reddit has a whole section devoted to following the Perseverance mission. I frequent those as a spectator because a lot of interesting breakthroughs come out of these citizen-scientist collaborations. And so what I'm going to talk about in item number five is exactly one of those. A guy named Merrick uh, Tulsi, T-U-S-L, Tuls. Um, I think he's in Czechoslovakia. I mean, he is a genius with a computer. Because if you click on the YouTube video in number five, you will see the most extraordinary um, compilation of the NASA landing video frames, both from the black and white and from the color. And if you look at number six, this I put up this, this afternoon to show what the process was like. He composited in the correct geometric sequence all of those black and white images showing the curvature of Mars as Perseverance was descending uh, toward the landing site on the parachute. And then, that's number seven, he was able to convolve into his algorithm the color from the, and it's not a GoPro camera, but I keep using the term GoPro like a Kleenex, a kind of an off-the-shelf sports camera that was modified by NASA to survive the descent and landing on Mars. Um, and that gave us gorgeous color views of the descent. Anyway, he put these two together and produced item number eight in my section, which is a stunning panorama of Mars and Jezero Crater like you were sitting suspended about seven miles above the planet and look at that astonishing color view. To be very honest, I do not know how he got from step seven to figure number eight in, in my sequence of Radio with Pictures images, because I don't think there's enough information in number seven, but unless he's a secret, secret, secret NASA plant under a pseudonym as a way of slipping the world real data on what exists on Mars, because if you blow that up and then you take it into an imaging program and you work with it, <clears throat> you make enlargements of the horizon, you will see <clears throat> the most stunning 180 degree panorama of the glass of the Yezero Dome 
shot from the top of the dome from about seven miles as Perseverance was descending on the parachute. And it's incredibly meticulously accurate and conforms to all of the other bits and pieces of circumstantial evidence we've been accruing from the NASA data downlinks from Perseverance over the last several weeks, making me strongly suspect that Mr. Tuls is not a, his real name. He may not even be from Czechoslovakia. It could be a pseudonym, uh, a guy pretending to be an amateur who is frankly deep inside the JPL complex because the information is so congruent, so in sync with everything else we know about the dome. Just look and zoom in and work with it in your own imaging programs and you'll see the stunning iridescent glass of you know concentric rings of this dome below the spacecraft as the spacecraft was descending well that happened i think on uh, monday or two i think it was monday or tuesday um on the next day something very weird came out of the jpl raw images perseverance page that's number nine because if you click on number nine that will show you a sudden series of literally hundreds of frames that were posted without comment to the jpl raw images webpage, and each of them to varying degrees looked like perseverance had suddenly gone stark raving mad and decided to shoot pictures either of you know black cats during an eclipse at midnight or bed sheets laid out in the bright sun in other words these images appeared to be blank frames and they go on for page after page after page after page and i took one look and i thought oh so that's what they're doing because they used the mascam z which is the highest resolution most sophisticated most color balanced of all the 25 or so cameras on the perseverance mission and it turns out what they were doing is shooting in successive frames hundreds of pictures of the mass cam looking up and photographing literally the entire sky. Now, I haven't had time to go and really, really check, but I kind of follow these things pretty closely, and I do not remember any time in NASA's history, except maybe way, way, way back in the extended mission of Viking, and there they were limited to how far up the camera on Viking, the two cameras could look because they were totally different kind of cameras than we have on, on spacecraft today rolling around on the surface of Mars. Anyway, I don't remember in any of the previous missions, um, uh, Pathfinder, Sojourner, which was part of Pathfinder, the two other rovers, Spirit and Opportunity, or the Curiosity rover. I don't remember anybody shooting the entire sky. Why? Because the sky changes. Because there are clouds on Mars. There's different dust. And if you're going to take a kind of a snapshot of the whole sky, you can't do it as a snapshot. It's got to be over 100, maybe almost 200 individual frames, which then, of course, are very high resolution. 
They're in multiple colors, so they all have to be downlinked through this tiny, tiny pipeline of the bandwidth limitation of transmitting through various satellites to come over, like Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter or European Trace Gas Explorer, or the, um, the there's another mission, I forget which one it is. Anyway, those opportunities are few and far between, and the bandwidth is limited. So why would you take information overload of the entire Yezero crater sky and do it over a month into the mission and not tell anybody that that's what you were going to do? Answer? I mean, this really is almost inescapable because it seemed to us on the team, you're going to hear tonight from various members of the Enterprise Imaging Team, it seemed to us as a general consensus that somebody inside JPL, one of the many honest folks, remember I've always said that 90% of NASA is honest, that the folks that have been lying to us and stealing data and hiding information and manipulating you know, the public are few and far between. They're at the upper, upper level of management. The rank and file are basically clueless because they do not suspect the people above them would do anything but tell them the truth. So what I think is happening is that one or more of those people who, you remember when you used to get Playboy in a brown paper wrapper because getting Playboy was considered uh, socially um, impolite, if not downright uh, frowned upon? Well, it's like when you're on a radio show that's all over the world and accessible on anybody's internet, you can listen in the middle of the night and be in NASA and no one knows you're listening to Hoagland and company. And that's what I think happened. And one or more of those people in terms of good science must have said to someone at some level of technical competence, for God's sake, if this is right, this could destroy our rover. Why? Because if you're sitting under a dome made of very, very ancient glass that's been attacked by the elements for tens or maybe hundreds of thousands of years, what are the odds that a piece of that glass will fall out of the sky and fall directly on your $2.7 billion rover, and that's the end of the mission. Just like Surveyor 4, it would suddenly, instantly just go away. Even under Martian gravity, if something falls seven miles, it's going to cause a very, very big noise. So, are they secretly... Is JPL, the folks running the Perseverance mission, are they secretly taking photographs of the inside of the dome to basically, out of self-preservation, find out what the hazards of being, you know, Perseverance under glass might be? I think that's not a bad bet. So go to item 10A. This is a composite I made. Click on it. It's very, very large. We might want to reduce the size, Kintia, so when you enlarge it, it's just the width of the frame of the page. But this is a raw frame. I could tell it was color because it had that kind of weird butterscotch tinge that all the NASA images of the surface of Mars for decades have had to have. 
because, of course, they're coloring up the real blue skies, the real colors of the landscape, the real everything in putting out this butterscotch nonsense as if that's the real Mars. Side by side uh, with it, and then 10B is the actual object that it turned out on that particular frame they were photographing with this incredibly competent and sophisticated mass cam Z system. Look at all of that stunning, colorful, extraordinarily geometric, and incredibly dome-like detail on a frame that if you look at it in the raw, it looks like a close-up of a, a soup of butterscotch pudding. Needless to say, we were, as Sherlock would have said, the game's afoot. Because we rapidly, I had Ron, you know, Gerbron uh, get roped into this. And we went through when we matched, he matched, the other black and white blank frames that turn out to be individual filtered images relayed to Earth in black and white. And then what you do is you put the three colors together and you can synthesize false color even though we can't see ultraviolet or infrared, you can put it into the visible so you see what the differences are, what the geometry is. And if you had any ground truth, you might even be able to tell the material you were looking at. I mean, we know it's glass, but is it glass that's doped with various metals for various practical utilitarian reasons like electrical conductivity or ultraviolet screening or enhanced tensile strength, or any one of a number of things. So if you look at 11 and 12A and 12B, and 12B has the frame numbers that Ron used to assemble this amazingly geometric-looking dome, <clears throat> it turns out that they were not only moving the camera and taking pictures of the whole dome in red, green, and blue, they were also moving the camera and taking pictures in all the other 11 filters that are on the mass cam on the Perseverance spacecraft. I mean, talk about, talk about doing an amazing job of looking at the dome from the inside and not telling anyone, I mean anyone outside of NASA, what you were it boggles the mind that we have a public space agency that seems to be so afraid of its citizens or afraid of what its citizens might do that they're carrying out a major aspect of the Perseverance mission kind of ad hoc, kind of suddenly, you know, full-born like Athena from the head of Zeus, and they're not telling anybody what they're doing. Item number 13 that's an image, a wide-angle image, when the camera was pointed toward the apex, toward the very top of the dome. I've deliberately de-resed it so you can see the stunning, concentric, hexagonal geometry, folks. It's tetrahedral. It's so, so Martian. And finally, I now know why Perseverance, I believe I know why Perseverance flight has been postponed. If you can imagine this little helicopter with its 3,000 RPM rotors and the screaming sound it will make, 
what if that sound, even in the, as we're told, thin Martian atmosphere, what if that sound actually vibrates loose some pieces of the dome and they come crashing down on Perseverance? Well, hold that thought. There's so much more, because when we come back, we're going to be talking to the Enterprise Mission Imaging Team. But our segue music tonight is James Taylor, Fire and Rain, which has a stunningly important message for what we think occurred on Mars. See if you can find it. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Walked out this morning and I wrote down this song. I just can't remember who to send it to. I've seen fire and I've seen rain. I've seen sunny days that I thought would never end. I've seen lonely times when I could not find a friend. But I always thought that I'd see you again Don't you look down upon me, Jesus You gotta help me make a stand You just got to see me through another day My body's aching and my time is at hand I won't make it any other way. Whoa, I've seen fire and I've seen rain. I've seen sunny days that I thought would never end. I've seen lonely times when I could not find a friend. But I always thought that I'd see you. My back turned towards the sun Don't know when the cold wind blows It'll turn your head around Well, there's hours of time on the telephone line To talk about things to come Sweet dreams and flying machines In pieces on the ground Oh, I've seen fire and I've seen rain Seen sunny days that I thought would never end. I've seen lonely times when I could not find a friend. But I always thought that I'd see you, baby, one more time again. Thought I'd see you one more time again. There's just a few things coming my way this time around now. Thought I'd see you, thought I'd see you. Well, I think you're looking with this great reset, you're looking at Mr. Globaloni's efforts to move everybody into a cashless society, which, you know, like it or not, that's a one-way mirror, folks. 
because at that point you're not dealing with a currency you're dealing with a corporate coupon that they can adjust the value of at the push of a button depending on whether or not you're good little boys and girls and if you're getting into a system where all of the infrastructure of financial clearing is in the hands of the bankers that's not a system you want to go into you look at the west and more importantly if you look at what some people call the anglosphere the, the western powers that are english speaking the united kingdom canada united states and so on i do think it's the case there they're using a health crisis really to drive a a political agenda and the health crisis itself is largely blown way way out of proportion to what's actually the case If you look at what Mr. Globalone is up to, they are recreating slavery. And the the thing that is unique about slavery is they now have the means of perfecting the capital because now they can literally implant your body with the means to track you. It's not going to go away overnight. But there are already Uh, I think some hopeful signs of cracks beginning to appear in the edifice. This is Joseph P. Farrell, and for all the news the media doesn't like you to hear, tune in to the other side of the news. Welcome back, everyone, to the other side of midnight for this Saturday night, April 3rd, 2021. Um, let me let me introduce my guests, okay, because uh, I went on a little longer than I thought I'd be going, but I needed to set, as the lawyers say, foundation, and not in any particular order. We've got Keith Morgan, who, as you know, worked with Ted Koppel for decades after decades, and we are so lucky to have him. I had major computer problems this afternoon and this evening getting ready for the show and he helped me out and we solved them and um you know again hats off to Keith without Keith you know and Kinthea of course this show would not be on the air and uh I am uh, thanking my lucky stars every time I I wind up doing something that actually works on the show uh Ron Gerbron is with us he is our uncredentialed polymath who actually knows a great deal about image processing and he's going to in a moment describe to you what JPL is doing and what we did to deconvolve what they're doing so we get a chance to look over their shoulder and go, oh my God, you got to be kidding. I mean, how can anybody, any engineer, any honest scientist in JPL take a look at those images and think that this normal mission is going to proceed looking for little teeny tiny microbes in the soil? I mean, come on. 
Okay, Andrew Curry. Andrew is our resident artist. He um, works for television and movies and does storyboards. I mean, he really does wonderful storyboards, as you're going to see. Because, of course, again, I, you know, maxed him out, and I said, come on, we need storyboards of what this really, 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 really looks like. And he came through. Uh, in the, I'll tell you what, I'm going to save the rest of the crew. Uh, well, no, Ruggiero's here. Ruggiero is our um, uh, English participant, another one, in addition to Bob Harrison. He is a... Um, He's a professional with a BSc honors degree in podiat- how do you say that podiatric medicine, uh, and he found and verified the existence of this amazing fossil, this uh, femur-looking bone that NASA says with a straight face, oh, it's just the wind carving rocks. Yeah, sure, absolutely sure. Okay, I don't think I forgot anybody. We're going to be joined by Bob and uh, Tim Saunders. In the last hour tonight, they have other professional commitments and uh, could not be with us for the whole show. So without further ado, uh, let me open the line here. Ron, tell them what magic you created to unveil what NASA is really doing and just not kind of getting around, as usual, to telling all the rest of us. Ah, okay. I feel a little bit like I'm uh, following up on a sales pitch at a furniture store. The, uh, there's only so much that is describable, but um, the idea is that they've been taking a bunch of images of said sky, uh, which has a dome in the way of their view of the stars. And each of those is through separate filters. They have uh, rather sadly not made it clear what filter is on what image. Uh, The only clue that I see in those rather long perseverance um, file names is that in the fourth group of numbers, uh, there's a couple of letters in there. And I think for one of the ones in there, there's a BY. And I think that stands for black and yellow, which implies that they're using some sort of four color channel separation for their imaging. But I don't know. That's just, there's a whole descriptive page on how to read them, and it doesn't have accurate information about that. So they're still keeping us in the weeds. Anyway, oh, I realize how we... special. Gosh, NASA, the most transparent agency ever created by the U.S. government, and they're not giving scientists out here in the great unwashed field of participants and observers the clues with how to actually read the data. That can't be the NASA. Well, I know, Ron. You've got to be mistaken. Sorry. I, 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 well, yeah. Anyway, it's uh, yeah. I, I think they are getting what they are after, which is that you know the whole purpose of having all those different filters is not just so that you can print up uh, seven color Swiss calendars to hang <laughs> over the desk. It's, uh, it is uh, in order to read other wavelengths that perhaps our normal assumption as to what our optical spectrum is um, don't apply. So like Richard mentioned, they, you know, they go into the infrared, they go up into the ultraviolet. And um, I think that's what's at work. So they can tell, you know, it's like for them, it's binary. Is there something there or is there not? But the, the images unprocessed, uh, the, those root images look rather um, less than special. Okay, I'm 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 waiting for the rest. Tell you what, tonight we had to make we have so many images 
Confia created a separate page. So if you scroll up and down the main image page for Radio with Pictures, you won't find Ron's stuff. If you click on Ron's items in the fast links, it takes you to his page. Why don't you regale us with a few of the the precedents that we found? Because, you know, Ron is ever the good historian and researcher said, wait a minute, wait a minute. This sounds, this looks familiar. I've seen this somewhere before. So again, where did you find the earliest example of apparently NASA quietly, secretly photographing from the inside of a Martian dome? Ron, did we lose you? Hello. There you are. Okay, sorry about that. I got, It just disappeared. Um, of course. I was about to say something. Yeah, well, I was about to say something nice about the evil ones. I, I was just, I, uh, like I said, I, what they're getting is, you know, either or. Does this filter show us something or not? And, uh, but in order to see it, to verify that there was some color information in those frames, that they weren't just, uh, you know, cleaning the lens or something. I don't know what you would do it for. They, um, um, I was playing with the um, saturation in the images. You posit that there's some in there, and it, uh, from some other research I've done, the saturation channel of, um, well, I guess that doesn't need explanation, uh, within an image uh, carries a lot of information about the um, contents. It's not enough to reconstruct the whole image, but it tells you if there's something there or not. So I just contrast enhance the uh, images and put them together in different assortments until I got something that showed a configuration that matched what we see in the other dome pictures. And so that's why all the rainbows, you know, it's not, um, they're not, that's not really the colors. That's just uh, an indication that there is information in there and it's consistent. And on well, that well, wait, one, wait, wait, wait. Anna, there, there is no, if you're looking at the ultraviolet or infrared, there's no such thing as real color anyway. So it's all just arbitrarily, you know, composing the kind of logical way would be to make the short wavelengths like ultraviolet bluish and the longer wavelengths mm-hmm. like infrared reddish to kind of match, you know, but you really don't have, what you really want to do is choose false colors that bring out the detail. And as you can see, going back to my images, the detail is stunning. Structural geometry, you know, hiding a sky that should not, I mean, literally, this cannot exist, folks. You understand how historic this is? The Enterprise mission discovers there's a dome over this amazing crater called Yezero on Mars. And then a month into the discussion, NASA suddenly, for no better reason than maybe they just thought of it, take a whole bunch of secret pictures to confirm the dome. When you look at the pictures, how any scientist, any engineer, any NASA manager, how the new administrator of NASA himself, Bill Nelson, reporting directly to the president, how anybody can look at this and say, oh, my God, this is evidence of a stunning super civilization on the planet Mars, absolutely boggles the mind. So what's going to be really exciting okay. is over the next several weeks to see how NASA either gets out from under this, which I don't think they can, continues to hide it, which is why we're doing the show tonight, because all you folks all over the world, you need to start sending your emails to NASA. Come clean, come clean. Not the honest folks, but the dishonest folks. I want to clearly separate that we have allies inside who obviously listen to what we had laid out as evidence 
and they did the scientific thing and they went looking and now they've caught the bus. What do they do with the bus, Ron? Well, they're trying to hide, you know, as much as they can and produce things on a normal schedule, I think. If if you jump over to my uh, group of images, the first one is labeled Test 19 because it was an ostensibly black and white image sitting in the um, uh, their groups there. And it um, I didn't bother with the name because I was simply working it to see if I could draw any extra information out, which I did. So it ended up partially colorized and with a lot more range. And if you blow up the picture, even without going to a, um, you know, a larger version of it or something, look at the peak of that hill back there. Oh, that's an arcology. And, uh, that's not a hill. That's yes, not a yes. That's an arcology. You know how I know? Because I found the color yeah. version of this, and I did a really, well, I think, is a good job, and it correlates with yours perfectly. But do you see that yeah. huge crack running down? Exactly. And you see the sun glinting through it? Yes. Yep. That is not um, a, a fissure or a fault in a mountain. Mountains don't do that. There are no earthquakes on Mars. How do we know? A little spacecraft called uh what's the name of the spacecraft um i can't remember in insight insight yeah there are no big earthquakes on mars so what caused that huge right. you know crack because if you look at the side see where the crack kind of seems to stop at that geometric stuff that on the color yeah. version is a whole open wound in the side of this arcology showing room after room after room of complex cubical geometry. This is one of the uh, arcologies that I think was built to house the folks under the dome after the dome was breached beyond the ability of their technology to repair. We can almost, if we, do this, if we do this right, we might be able to construct or reconstruct a timeline for how things got bad and worse and desperate to where the survivors had to come here and become all our ancestors. That's the model, and everything we've seen seems to conform to the model and does not disconform. So this is an amazing image, right. an amazing image. Yeah, it'll look – I will uh, – I noticed they did finally post uh, – a color view or two of it, and I'm gonna I'm gonna work on those. But this was just more playing with the technology than anything else. The second one is Wait, another Ron, one. Ron, before you go yeah. on, sorry to jump in. Do you guys remember no. that? Yeah, that that arc, that arcology, that building, tetrahedral building in um uh oh <laughs> now it's let me the the, the last Mars mission um, curiosity. Scale. It, yeah, in Gale. Yes. Remember that sliced? Yes, like it all was sliced in half. And we could see that detail. This is almost like the the version before it got sliced, you know? Well, it's kind of the yeah, beginning so that, of the deterioration, and what we see in yeah. Gale is the end point where one whole half slices away and slides down, collapses, probably due to internal corrosion, exposing like, like uh, you know, what was the name of the building, the Muir building in Oklahoma City? after McVeigh and the others blew up the truck bomb in front of it, and you saw the building with all the yeah. floors and all the curtains and drapes and all that, that's kind of like what we're seeing here is the exposed interior of a huge, huge building built in the shape 
pyramid. Why? Because pyramids mm. amplify the physics. And I guarantee you, our great, 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 great grandmothers, the first thing on their minds was, how the hell do we keep our wits about us and our consciousness and our intelligence when the physics has gone to hell because of the war? Yeah, I'm visualizing a big evil saucer hanging overhead, slicing that gash in there with its um, mm, death ray. I don't but, think so. I think it just cracked because <laughs> of corrosion, which is why you have the mass okay. wasting on the side. Remember, something okay. had to have happened well, to cause both. Anyway, continue. We don't have a lot well, of time. Yeah, let me – Yeah. oh, okay. I was going to say let me quickly uh, cement the idea in – skeptical minds that there might be a uh, might or might not be a dome there if you look at the second one that's another obviously percy image i after looking at all of those featureless frames i noticed something at the end of each sequence of that uh of that sort of picture taking there was one or two frames that had just a little bit of the ground at the bottom mm. and i said oh well that indicates that they are going right down to the horizon in their search and so I, I seriously uh, enhanced that one and notice how the sky looks and notice how that matches everything else. And then you go in, in dome pictures. Then you go to number three, which was a new uh, enhancement of the very famous photo, one of the first two, I think, taken by the Viking Lander One. It's got that big um, thing, that big... Um, that's the meteorology boom on the right-hand side, and the rock in the center yeah. is called Big Joe. Did you know Big back? Joe, yeah. Did you know back? This is 1976. Even back then, you know, feminists were very vocal, and NASA was very carefully listening. And the team had wanted to call the rock Big Bertha, and someone somewhere in NASA said, "Ah, uh, that's not a good idea," so they changed it to Big Joe. Well, Big Bertha was the name of the largest artillery piece that the Allies had in World War II, I believe. Mm, I thought it was Great Hitler. Great big gun. I thought it was Hitler. Anyway. Uh, oh, no. His biggest gun was much bigger. It was so big. It was so big they couldn't even use it. It was – I've got a picture of it somewhere. But um, they only used it like three times. But I don't know. I have no idea what it was called. But it was Back to the image, was, Ron. Come on. Come on. Focus, focus. Yeah, okay. Well, you brought it up. Uh, anyway, if you look at the – if you see the original – any other version of the of that image? I trimmed a little bit off the bottom, just to, um, the um, you'll say oh, and you'll see those same lines in the sky. So, Look at but that. Just knowing knowing what they, I thought that was just sloppy housekeeping by the. Well, no, 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 no. Remember, I was there, Charlie. I was there yeah. <clears throat> vividly. Remember, and a bunch of us in the press because I was there covering uh, the um, the Viking landing. For, among other things, American Way magazine at that time. And uh, we asked about those isocontours. That's what those lines are called. Equal steps of equal brightness. And we were told by the engineers on the Viking team, oh, don't worry about those because we're limited to um, 8-bit digital data. That's the stepping function of the camera. It can't give us a finer gradient. So there appear to be steps in the brightness of the sky, but it's just a computer artifact. Those guys. So they're. Were, so they knew perfectly well. They were there. lying. They were because nobody back then. What reporter had a damn personal computer? 1976. 
only people like uh, Bill and, and Stephen imagined personal computers. The rest of us had to imagine what working with a computer, which was big enough to fill several rooms and required a couple of Niagara Falls to cool, remember, vacuum tubes and all that. So the idea that NASA would take a perfectly good picture with exquisitely important detail and lie bold face about the reason for those contour lines, which obviously are, if you look at them in detail, they look exactly like the perseverance lines in the sky. Now, some smart person out there is going to say, well, wait a minute. How do you know that the perseverance cameras aren't giving you the same digital limited step function of the brightness in the sky that you had in Viking? In other words, could NASA be telling the truth? And you guys are all nuts. Ron, you want to answer that? Uh, actually, I would. Just look at the wrinkles. You know, if you've got a stepping function or something like that going on, like I said, you can you could go look at that Viking image. And that's the only other – I may be wrong about this, but as far as I know, that's the only other uh, lander that's gone up there with 11 filters. It's almost like an, it's an homage to it. I mean, they've, they've had several on a lot of them, but I think there were seven, maybe nine on the Spirit and Opportunity, and they didn't use they didn't use all of them, but 11. I mean, that's that's maxed out. <laughs> uh, no, the fact that they're not regular lines, you know, forget the fact that they look uh, bubbly. The, um, the fact that they well, look ruffles like have ridges. The the there's there's detailed geometry. Yeah in each of the lines, little burbles of glass sticking up, shards, shattered pieces. They look identical to Perseverance. So why is it glass on Perseverance? You were supposed to answer that question from a digital background. Ah, from a digital background. Um, well, I think they've known. No, 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 no. You're getting dome. too in the weeds. The answer is modern computers don't produce that. The 64-bit ah. data is so far above 8-bit data because it's geometric, it's not linear, that to see the same stepping function on a modern digital image is a telltale, telltale giveaway that the damn camera's photographing that in the sky. It's not an artifact, and you know, a digital artifact. Oh, sure, sure. Okay, that, uh, and I can wrap up all but one of the remaining pictures just so that we can continue our discussions better. Um, by saying wait, that, wait, the, uh, wait, guys, sorry. Um, no problem. What about, the vertic what about the vertical lines that seem to be twisting upwards somewhere from the horizon? And do you see them there? It, to me, it seems like there's braces coming up. You we're know what I mean? we're, you we're talking you about the, the, you mean on the, you mean on the Percy image or the Viking? No, no, no. He's talking about the Viking. On the Viking. Yeah. Uh, yes. Well, it looks to me like there's either they were trying to mask something. Or uh, no, 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 no. Think buttresses. Remember, buttresses, yes. you're building out of glass, glass on glass on glass. The number of complex refractions, reflections, mm -hmm. prismatic effects. I mean, the, this is going to be nuts for a digital modeler because the ray trace alone is going to need a supercomputer to model accurately. But I think all those vertical things are parts of the dome that stick up in front of the other parts of the dome that are horizontal. And so you're getting refractions, bending of light. I mean, on my image, my beautiful, you know, pastel blue and 
pink image with all the geometry. The upper left-hand corner Uh is nothing but reflections of the other parts of the dome. You can actually match point for point, detail for detail, and that black circle that Bob thought was a hole in the dome caused by a meteor. No, I think that's an airlock, and you can see the refraction I'm sorry, reflection of the airlock over on the far left-hand side of that image, and it correlates perfectly to the geometry of reflection, total external reflection from a buttress rising from not too far from behind the Perseverance rover. And one of the reasons why they've kind of put on hold flying the helicopter, it'd be very embarrassing if they ran into a chunk of glass, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's flat on a windshield like the opening scenes in uh, Men in Black. The uh, uh, Let me add one more. Number 12 is one of those sections that you're just talking about. It's not there in Jezero. It's not part of the Viking thing. But I believe that uh, I had this picture up before. We didn't really discuss it, so I, I processed it a little more to give it more detail and that slightly curved line going from the um, top edge down toward the left is I believe the base and foundations with buttresses etc of a dome somewhere on Mars and not not anywhere Mars. near and not, I, not near I, Yezero or near the Viking landing site it's taken by MRO which has been right. photographing the whole damn planet yeah. in high res right but I have found at least two other domes that also have that strange square appendage on the side of the foundations. So this may have something to do with domes. But in any case, if you want to see how you would anchor a dome like that, because you'd need something. It's not just sitting there like a big glass prancing manners. I think that's what the foundations and anchoring looks like. And above it is a city of glass in number 11. Um, People can look at that at their leisure. Now, all the rest of them have to do with the sand. Guys, we're at the... We're at the uh, bottom of the hour, or is it, no, the top of the hour. I don't get my clocks right. I have to hang them upside down. You're on the other side of midnight. My guests this morning are too numerous to mention. Go to our um, uh, guest page tonight. You'll see all of them. We'll call them by their first names, Ron and Andrew and Bob and Tim and Keith and Cynthia. You know them well. They are bringing you history in the making, history that I guarantee is going to change for the better the world in which you live tonight. And for God's sake, NASA's listening to the Enterprise mission. Will wonders never cease? You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. You know who that is in the background, and it's more relevant every single day. We shall return. Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed, 
and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out.